I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi everybody, I would love to welcome you to today's episode with your host Fredrik Ankerskold. Coming up in today's show is our guest and New York Times bestseller Harry Lorraine, also called the Yoda of Memory Training by Time Magazine. We will be talking about how Harry got beaten by his dad for getting poor grades in school and how he discovered the solution that would change his life at the age of 11. Harry Lorraine has since then sold over 17 million books, are now over 90 years old and still going strong. We will also be talking about how improving your memory can impact your health, your wealth, love and happiness. So what are we waiting for? Let's begin. So I would uh, I would like to welcome you, Harry, to today's podcast. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, sir. Oh, nice to hear. So, Harry, I heard a little bit about your story, and you're a memory expert. How did you get into discovering those techniques? Oh boy, <laughs> that's a long story. You sure you want to hear it, Frederick? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I, I wrote an article. I wrote a couple of articles about the subject where I said that sometimes bad can become good. And uh, how I became what I became is a good example. When, when I, I'm dyslexic, uh, Frederick, and when mm-hmm. I was a little boy going to school, uh, all my little classmates were getting passing marks on their exams, and I got failing marks. And I finally realized that the reason I was getting failing marks is because I couldn't remember the answers to the questions that were being asked. Because at that age, I was, I don't know, about 11 years old. At that age, you don't intellectualize. I mean, the question you ask, the the questions you are asked um, have a definite answer. Either you know the answer or you don't. And it finally dawned on me that all it boiled down to, if I wanted to stop 
getting failing marks is I had to remember those answers. I had to remember what the teacher said in the class, and I had to remember the pages that she told us to read. That made me think about doing something about my memory. I realized that it was my bad memory, and that's what I meant when I wrote this article about bad being good. I have a normal bad memory, but I went and I found books on memory training. I didn't understand most of it because I was only 11 years old, but the little bit I did understand that I changed to solve my memory problems, that changed my life. That started a career. Yeah. I also heard that uh, it was to avoid the pain from your family <laughs> that made you go well, into the library. Well, that, uh, that's, that's part of it. Uh, well, let's see, the way, uh, once on television, when I was on television, the, the host uh, asked me, he said to me, Harry, how does somebody like you, without a formal education from the Lower East Side of Manhattan, how does somebody like you become the world's foremost memory trading specialist? And I said, stomach cramps. <laughs> and he turned white under his makeup. He thought I went crazy, you know. And I said, no, 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 I'll explain it to you. When I, again, this goes back to the story I just told you when I was very young. I used to get stomach cramps every morning. I thought that was a way of life. Until, again, I realized that I was getting them Monday through Friday, never on weekends. In other words, on school days. And the reason I was getting stomach cramps, as I told you, I was getting failing grades on these tests that the teacher used to give us every day. She would grade the tests, mark them, and I was always getting failing grades. And the problem was she made us take it home so one of our parents would sign it. And my father, who died when I was 12 years old, so you can see how far back I'm going, uh, he was the signee. And when he saw my failing grades, he would hit me. He would punish me. And that's why I got stomach cramps every morning. I was afraid of getting hit by my father. And that was part of what made me realize that I had to start getting better grades, passing grades, so I wouldn't get hit by my father. So that was part of the whole thing that made me go to the library. And I remember asking the lady there, I could still picture her from all these decades ago, and said, oh, I got to learn how to remember. And I was almost crying. And she took me to a room that looked like nobody had been in it for a 100 years. And in the corner of that room were a bunch of books dating back to the 17th century on memory training. And as I told you before, I started to read them. I sat in that room for hours, and most of it I couldn't understand uh, because, you know, like I said, I was just a little boy. But the little bit I understood changed my life, Frederick. I can only imagine. That's, so you're over 90 years now, so that's how many years is it? It's. I'm sorry? You're over 90 today, so that's many years you've been doing that uh, the memory oh, training. Oh, yeah. Uh, I turned uh, 90 last May. There was a big birthday party thrown for me in New York City. It was very nice, very moving, people coming in from all over the world, etc., etc. But, yeah, I wrote my first book on the subject in 1956, but I had written articles on the subject prior to that. So my first pick was a book, uh, 1956, so that's 44. That's about 50, 60 years ago. 
Ah, that's almost well. That's much longer than I even lived. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I've been around for a while, uh, Frederick, and since then I've written uh, quite a few books on the subject. Yeah. Uh, uh, if I remember right, you sold over 70 million books so far. Yeah, and uh, I'm knocking uh, wood mentally. They're still selling. My book, the memory book, is in about 18 languages. Uh, my current book, the latest book I wrote, is called Ageless Memory. Uh, all my books teach the same systems, but they are sometimes they are geared toward different areas, uh, different types of people. Ageless Memory is geared specifically to older people. People with my color hair, Frederick, gray and white. <laughs> yeah. What do you think is the most, uh, what most misunderstood things about memory? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Uh, the, I think the first thing that comes to my mind, the most misunderstood thing is that people think this is the memory I was born with and there isn't anything I can do about it. And that is completely wrong. Of course, you could do something about it. I'm, I'm probably the best example uh, in that area. And so are all my probably million students all over the decades now who can prove that. So that's probably one of the most misunderstood things. There's a cliche, and I've written about this. The cliche is that we only use about 10% of our mental ability, our mental capacity, and I wrote, I said, with most people, don't even use 10%. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a question of learning how to use the mental capacity that you already have. It's just a question of knowing how to utilize it. And that's what I teach. That That's basically what I've taught about 18 or 20 books. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about memory, I know that you can remember complete audiences' names just in a show. Uh, yes, that's what I've done for years. That's how I open my appearances. Yeah. So how many people at the most have you memorized? Well, you know, there's a book called The Book of Genius. That's the title of the book. I didn't make it up. And uh, it's written by a gentleman by the name of Tony Buzan, B-U-Z-A-N. He's sort of a fan of mine. Anyway, uh, in that book, there's a chapter devoted to me now how he did the research he asked me uh, how many shows i've done this is many years ago because i kept the record of all my appearances and etc and approximately how many people i've met and remembered at each show and how many te television appearances i've made and so forth and so on and uh, this book came out about 10 years ago i guess something like that and he figured out to answer your question frederick that I had met and remembered about 8,500,000 people in my career. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, that's what he figured out. I never counted them. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a way <laughs> to forget the names too then? Well, you know, it's funny. That's another thing I've written many times, that my problem is not to remember. My problem is to forget. <laughs> many times, you know, I used to do, when I was doing the act many years ago, my personal appearances, I would do an evening show at some hotel for a group at 8 o'clock, and then I had a late show uh, later on that same evening. And all the some of the things I remembered for the first show, I had to forget because I had to remember new things for the second show. So that became, that's something that worked with me automatically, 
forgetting. The truth of the matter is with, with most people, not somebody like me who's in this particular business that I do it all the time, with most people it boils down to use. You can apply my system to anything you like, but then if you don't use it, you forget it. For example, many people use what I call my link system to remember a shopping list. You know, to go out shopping. They don't want. It's another thing I've written about so many times. People make a list when they go shopping. You know, listing the things they want to buy at the at the grocery store, and then they leave and they forget to take the list. For God's sakes, and and writing a list is not really very good because most of the time, when you write things, you are bypassing your brain. It's going from the source to the paper. So I teach how to remember it. But the reason I'm mentioning that right now is when you make a shopping list, you don't want to remember it except for going shopping. Once you've bought all the things you want to buy, you don't need it anymore. So you're never going to think about it anymore. Then you, in quotes, forget it. Yeah, that's a good thing. You don't want to remember the shopping list after three years. <laughs> exactly, because the next day you may do another shopping <laughs> trip. So, uh, of course, no, that works automatically. So, do you think there's a limit limit in how much we can remember? I, as far as I know, there isn't. There was no limit uh, to me. It's a, you're only limited by time. Uh, there are people I have. Uh, Emails from people and letters over the decades from people. One person told me he used my system to remember, uh, what is it called, pi to the 5,000th or 15,000th decimal. People want to do these things to show off. I mean, I don't bother with it. I do enough uh, to show off. But there is no limit so far as I'm concerned. As I say, you're only limited by time. Yeah, yeah. So, except showing off with these things, where do you think that people can use a good memory in, for example, their relationships or business? Well, one of the books I wrote is called Memory Makes Money and was geared toward uh, business people. Uh, one of the examples I used, if you're selling insurance and if you call your customer Sam when his name is Paul, you're not going to make that sale. You know what I mean? <laughs> so... Uh, many corporations all over the world, as far as I know, teach my systems as part of their training schedule, because memory now is very important. You want to re you want to remember potential customers' names, and people in the insurance company have told me, you know, to carry a big book with all the rules and laws and prices and whatever about insurance and if somebody asks them a particular question they have to look through the book until they find the answer and tell it to them that which is okay but if you use my if you've applied my systems and somebody asks you a question about their insurance problem and you answer it right away that's half your uh, sale right there right away they're more impressed with you because they feel you really know your business. Of course, memory is very important in business. Most important, remembering potential clients' names, obviously. <laughs> Telephone numbers. You know, it's according to your business. When I lived in New many, many years ago, I taught uh, in New York City. I, I had a special class for police officers on how to pass their, what they called the sergeancy exam. In other words, to become a sergeant, you get a higher pay raise, etc., etc. So all, it all boiled that test. Every test boils down to memory. 
there questions what's the difference between first degree arson and third degree arson, how to remember license plate numbers, how to remember the names of people they're looking for to put in jail, you know, what I mean? <laughs> what, what, whatever it is that police had to remember. And I taught this course how to pass the sergeancy exam with a guarantee, a money back guarantee that if they didn't pass the exam, they got their money back. I never had to return any money. Vill du stärka din självkänsla, sova gott och må bättre? Då borde du testa vägledd självhypnos. Det enda du behöver göra är att lyssna, slappna av och följa instruktionerna. Gå in på hypnotication.com och hitta dina favoriter idag. Ange koden LYCKA för 15% rabatt på hela köpet. So uh, the point is, it has to do with your business. Uh, I remember one person sending me a letter. He called the racers at a racetrack. You ready for this? He used to call. He would be sitting. Uh, you can visualize it. He's sitting in a microphone and he's announcing the race. And he wrote to me or he called me and he said, Harry, one, one of my problems is I see a horse taking the lead i see his number, but then I have to look down at my sheet of paper to see the name of that horse. And by the time I look up, a different horse has passed him. So <laughs> I have to remember the names of the horses without looking down at a sheet of paper. And I taught him that. He sent me a letter. He said, I saved his life. I, don't, I memorize it at every race. I memorize the names of the horses and their numbers in this particular race. End the problem. Yeah, I can only imagine. Is another example that goes to my mind is when people are studying for school or exam or all these things, uh, how much easier things can get for them. Say that again, how much what? Easier it can get for them when they are studying for exams. That's uh, one of my current books is called uh, Super, uh, Super Memory Super Student. And that's one of my bestsellers. And on the cover of that book, it says how to raise your grade in 30 days. But th- that's the whole point is to remember, you know, a lot of students used to come to me and they say they have trouble remembering things at lectures. They write, you remember what I told you about taking notes. They're sitting at a lecture and they hear something that they think is important. They have to look down at their paper and write it. At that, while they're doing that, they're missing two or three other points that the lecturer is talking about. So I teach people, you don't have to take notes. You're taking notes in your brain. You're not missing anything the lecturer is saying. What a, you know, when I wrote my first book for students, I'm going back to 1972. My first book for students was called, was called Good Memory, Good Student. Then I wrote, that was up to, for high, up to high school. Then the next one was Good Memory, Successful Student. That went from high school to graduate school, you know, learning how to memorize more important things or more difficult things to remember. And then as the years went by, a publisher asked me to combine the two and rewrite them, which I did. And that became Super Memory, Super Student, which is currently out there. I don't know if it's in your neck of the woods, but I know it's here, you know, in the (laughs) States. Uh, And uh, that is very important teaching students how to remember, how to remember their information. Anyway, the reason I'm talking about this is when I went to do some research 
and I checked with teachers uh, about this, and they said, oh, no, no, we don't use memory. But then when I checked with the students, they said, oh, good Lord, do we use memory. I wrote in one of my early books, at the very front of the book, I wrote, there is no learning without memory. And a lot of the educators here in the state started to scream and yell. But I got to tell you, Frederick, I never lost that debate. You know why? There is no learning without memory. All learning is memory. If you, if you learn something, you've memorized it. If you've memorized it, you learned it. <laughs> if you know it, you remembered it, you learned it. You, you got it. They're all synonyms. Yeah. I totally believe you because it's so funny. If you can't remember what you learned, how can you use it? It's no. Well, of course, it's all based on uh, on mem All learning is memory. So when some of the educators all those years ago, when I did my first research for my first book on the subject of school, particularly of students, that's what they did. But you know what I found out? A lot of the same teachers that said, oh, no, we don't use memory, were privately saying things to their students that had to do with memory. You know, giving them a little, like, I'm trying to think of an example. No, I remember one of my early teachers when I went to school, so I'm going back quite a few years ago, <laughs> where she wrote on the blackboard, never believe a lie. And when she wrote believe, the three letters in the center of that word are L-I-E. So she made them large, if you can visualize that, Frederick. Yeah. So she said, never believe a lie. She was teaching us how to remember that the I comes before the E in that word. Yeah, yeah. Because all of us know how to spell lie. We didn't know or remember how to spell believe. That phrase, never believe a lie, told us, taught us how to do it. Yeah. It's so, you know, they were teaching girls about memory when I was a little boy. As I got, got older, I realized, I know that many teachers now teach my systems in schools all over the world. I think that's really important because there's a lot of stress in today's society. And by using the memory in a correct way, we can reduce that stress instead have a trust in that our memory actually works. And that it helps us and that we don't have to go over things and that we don't make mistakes that can cost us money. That's what it boils down to. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I also teach people how to, uh, some techniques in how to overcome, uh, overcome fears. But if how to overcome fear? Yeah. But the funny thing is, yeah. if you can't remember the technique when you're stressed and you feel the fear, it's no point in... <laughs> In knowing okay, it. Yeah, okay, of course, it all boils down to remembering. Of course, one of the most, it's one of the most important things there is. Yeah. So when people memorize or forget names, do you think that they didn't remember it from the beginning or that they lost it? Well, again, I've written about this so many I times. I think you have you a know, book for uh, every, uh, every question I have. <laughs> yeah, of course. I've written this and I've... Uh, so it's going to sound repetitive or redundant to people who've read my books, but 
you know, I can't change it. It's the truth. The universal memory complaint, this is all over the world, Frederick, the universal memory complaint is I'm introduced to somebody uh, and about two minutes later I forget his or her name. And I always say that's a lie. You did not forget his, his or her name. What you did is you didn't remember it in the first place. That's the key. Most people, I saw this when I was doing research when I was much younger, when I was first asked by publishers to write uh, books on the subject. Uh, I watched, you know, I would be introduced to somebody and they would be looking over my shoulder to see who could be important in this room. People do that. They're talking to somebody and they look over your shoulder to see who's important, little realizing that maybe the person they're talking to is the most important person. You know, the idea is to make eye contact and pay a little attention. One of the keys to my, and all my work is very simple. I just said it, two words, pay attention. Yeah. That's what it boils down to. You know, when I was very young and got interested in, the, in this subject, probably in my late uh, teens, there were in, in New York City, where I was born and raised, where I lived at the time, uh, there were classes. People used to do classes or seminars on on uh, learning and remembering. And I would go to these classes, of course. And all of them ended with those two words. They would say, pay attention. And uh, I always said, sometimes I'd yell it out because I got so annoyed. I said, I know that. I know you have to pay attention. Teach me how. None of them taught me how to pay attention. That's what I do. Ah, I love it. I love it. See, one of my cliches, Frederick, I have a lot of them, but one of my cliches is, even if my systems don't work, they must work. Now, that <laughs> sounds very contradictory. When I say even if my systems don't work, they must work, of course they must work. You know why? Even trying to apply them, whether they work or not, which of course they do, they work beautifully, but just trying to apply them much better your memory because my systems force you to grab your mind by the scroll of the neck and force you to pay attention. That's the key. Yeah. That's what I love about what you do. You actually show people in your systems and books how to do things, not just saying to people that they have to pay attention, but actually showing them how to do it. Oh, of course. When I teach you, if I when I teach somebody how to remember a person, how do you pronounce your last name, Frederick? Pronounce my last name? Uh, yeah. How do you say? Uh, Ankerkold. Ankerkold. Am I saying Ankerkold or? I can say it in English instead. Ankerkold. Ankerkold. You know, when I saw it on uh, my computer when we were talking back and back and forth, you know what I did. I saw a ship's anchor. You know what an anchor is, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was freezing in cold water. The anchor's cold. I got it. Ah, perfect. And that's how you do, use... Do you see what I'm talking about? But, but in order to do what I just told you, there come those two words again. I had to look at that name and pay attention. That's the key, is, is, is paying attention. I meet somebody named... Uh, uh, Bentavania, let's say. It's an Italian name. It's a name a person I uh, did meet. Bentavania. Well, it's a conglomerate. If you don't know, maybe it has meaning in Italian, 
But if you don't know Italian, it's a conglomeration of sound. That's all it is. How in the world do you remember something like that? Well, I teach a few ways to do it, but the first thing is you got to make it meaningful in your mind. So when I met Mr. Bentavania, I thought of a bent weather vane, bent vane. That's going to remind me of Bentavania. But again, the key is, in order to do what I just told you, I had to do a very important thing. I had to listen. I had to hear that name. Again, <laughs> there's the key. So I hear Bentavania, I think of a bent weather vane. Now the next thing is I got to associate that to the person's face. Well, how do I do that if I don't actually look at that person's face? Again, I have to pay attention. There come those two words all the time. Now I got to tie the two things together. Let's say Mr. Bentavania, the first thing I notice on his face as I'm shaking hands with him, I notice that he has a big nose, for example. That's the first thing I see. Well, as I shake his hand, I visualize not a nose, but a bent weather vane in place of a nose. I've got it. The next time I see him, his nose is going to remind me of a bent vein, and that reminds me of Bentavania. I've used the word remind a couple of times here, and that's the basis of all memory. All my systems are based, and all memory is based on the reminder principle. One thing reminds you of the other. Yeah, it's like a trigger that triggers the memory, so you can yeah, actually trigger, have... Yeah, that's use... it, reminding. Yeah. So you combine attention with visualization. Well, sure, you know, uh, you got it. You got, what I teach people to do is take mundane things, things we forget are mundane, everyday things. I teach people how to visualize things in a strange way, in a ridiculous way. Aristotle wrote 3,000 years ago, one of the first sentence in one of his books is, in order to think, we must speculate with the images. I teach people how to make images in their mind. If I want somebody to remember... Oh, let's say I mentioned the shopping list before. Let's say you're going shopping and you want to remember, uh, oh, you got to go to the library. Uh, but when you come out of the library, you promised your friend you're going to buy him a carton of cigarettes. Or oh, I'm just making that up. I don't smoke and I don't want to <laughs> make people smoke. But, I don't smoke uh, either. So, huh, okay, I'm an ex-smoker. <laughs> that's why I think of those things. Uh, me too. Anyway, uh, I, when I visit a library, I think of a book. Now, I want book to remind me of my next thing I want to do, and that is to buy cigarettes. Well, how do I do that? Okay, you make a silly picture in your mind between the two things. I can see myself smoking a gigantic book instead of a cigarette. I can see myself opening a book and a million cigarettes fly out and hit me in the face and burn me. Anything silly like that, you're not going to forget. That's it. And the next thing may be... Oh, you got to buy dog food. You want to remember to buy dog food. Well, how does cigarettes remind me of dog food? Well, I might see myself walking a gigantic cigarette on a leash instead of a dog. Or I can see a dog smoking a gigantic cigarette. Anything that's silly and ridiculous. And I visualize that in my mind. I'm not going to forget it. So when I go out to go shopping... I go to the library, I finish my chores at the library, I think a book, I visualize myself smoking a gigantic book, I know I gotta buy cigarettes. I think a cigarette, I visualize myself walking a gigantic uh, cigarette on a leash instead of a dog, I know I gotta buy dog food, and so on. I call that the link system of memory, like a chain, one thing reminds you of the next. 
I think that's a very good thing. I use that a lot too to memorize things because I don't have to have a long list of things because one thing triggers the next. Exactly. I think, you know, that's a, a simple, what I told you about shopping is a simple and obvious way of using it. But I have very important people like the ex-mayor of New York City and the ex-police uh, commissioner of New York City who use my systems. And Patrick Kelly, the ex-police commissioner, says he uses it mostly to remember his speeches. And I use the same thing I just told you about a shopping list. You use to remember a speech. You, you do a link of your important thoughts in your speech. The assumption is you know what you want to say. The problem with people, if they don't have notes, is remembering the thoughts you want to talk about. So the link system that I just talked about does that for you. You think of one word that reminds you of the thought, and then the next word that reminds you of the next thought, and you put the two together. Like if you were making a speech about books, using the example I did before, you talk about whatever you want to about books, and when you finish with that, Obviously, you thought you're talking about books. You you saw yourself smoking a gigantic book. You know you're going to talk about cigarettes <laughs> next, about how to stop smoking, uh, how not to be a smoker, and then you want to talk about dogs because you visualize yourself walking a gigantic cigarette. So the same system works for anything. Yeah, uh, a funny thing that I read on the internet was a while ago was that some people think it's cheating, but they have misunderstood why, how you use the memory if they think it's cheating to memorize something easier than other people. Why would that be cheating? You're reminding me of so many things about many, many years ago. A student in a college in Chicago somewhere said they were going to throw him out of school because they thought it was cheating. he was cheating on a very important test. I've written about this also. Uh, and because he was using my systems and he was citing page numbers and using exact language to answer some of the questions that were asked. And all the professors there thought he was cheating. <laughs> so he called me, he said, I don't know what to do. I said, give me the name of your professor, give me a telephone number. I called his professors. This is so many years ago. And, and they said, well, he couldn't have done what he did if he wasn't somehow cheating. I said, well, there's a very easy way to solve it. Number one, if you'll pay the airfare, I'll send a 12-year-old boy with his father to Chicago, and you can test him on anything. He'll show you the little boy, because the kid was a student of mine, how he can remember it word for word, but I'll give you a cheaper way to do it. Why don't you do a test with this gentleman that you want to throw out of school? Why don't you test him orally, for God's sakes? How obvious. Test him orally. Long story short, that's what he did. he did. He gave the same answers standing in front of him so they knew he couldn't be cheating, so they didn't throw him out of school. Uh, that's a perfect solution. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so sometimes, you know, you can be too good at what you do, you know. Yeah. I, I can't go into this, but many years ago, I was paid quite a bit of money to go into areas where there were people talking, where you were searched before you went in to make sure you weren't carrying any of paper and pens or recording devices because there were secrets being told there that the people were paying me wanted me to remember those secrets. Yeah. <laughs> but so I, you could use uh, your memory in a variety of different ways. 
I think as is it is as many things that you can use it for good or for bad. But also I think the conceptions or misunderstandings, misconceptions and misunderstandings about memory is that when people are so used to that something is so hard and they see somebody doing it so easily, the first guess is that they're cheating or they're doing something unethical or something like that. Well, that's it. That's what these college professors were thinking. I mean, I kind of, I didn't do it out loud, but I kind of laughed at them. How could you accuse somebody of cheating just because they're good? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what it boils down to. But fortunately, I solved that problem for this young man who called me almost in tears that he was going to be thrown out of school. Yeah. So how do you think that could help people that wants to improve their personal life, like... uh, in the normal life, what techniques do you normally recommend there? Well, just pick up any one of my books. I mean, all, you know, most of life is based on memory. You have to remember where you're walking. You have to remember the name of the person you're talking to. You have to remember what they're saying to you. I mean, everything is based on that. That's how, that's why we have brains, for God's sakes. I mean, <laughs> is we, we have to remember things, and that's what I teach. Listen, I'm knocking, again, I'm knocking wood mentally. That's why I think my books are so successful. Yeah. I have letters from people... You can't believe I have letters from people who told me they wasn't the person I used on one of my television infomercials, a uh, 75-year-old uh, man by the name of Bob Norland, who had a stroke. And he wrote me a letter. I had him on my television infomercial after I got his letter. Of course, I sent the camera crew out to talk to him. He had a stroke, and he was told by his doctors that his memory was gone. He would never remember things again. And he said, fortunately, one of his friends or a member of his family brought him one of my books. And he said, that's why I'm writing you, Mr. Lorraine, because I now can remember things better than I did before my stroke. Uh, and I said, oh, boy, will you say that on television? And he said, of course. <laughs> he was in a wheelchair from a stroke, etc. And he told his story that I just told you. And he said, now I remember things better than I ever could before. And not only that, I'm doing memory demonstrations for my local Rotary Club and things like that. That's amazing to hear. Yeah, I've had so many letters like that from people who were told they could never remember again or they had strokes or they were in accidents where they had a brain injury. I, I'm told by, you know, I you know, I only have one year of high school, Frederick, so I got to be very careful uh, about what I say. I, uh, and I am careful, but I have been told by doctors that people who apply my systems is a good way to hold back Alzheimer's. Now, I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling that might be because it's great exercise and we need to exercise our brains. You know, I've written this also. If you let your arm dangle down for six months and never use it, it's going to atrophy. You won't be able to use it again. Well, the same thing with your mind. Think of it as a muscle. If you don't use it, it's going to atrophy and it doesn't do you any good. Yeah. I read a story about that And the best exercise for your mind that I can think of is applying my systems. (laughs) I can actually agree to that one because you're teaching people how to implement the knowledge too and remember. And uh, well, Harry, for those who, the people and the listeners who want to know more about you, where can they read and find more about you? Well, I wrote a, a, if you're talking about a memoir, uh, 
Mel, Mel Brooks is a good friend of mine. I don't know if he's known very much in your neck of the woods. You know who Mel Brooks is? Mel Brooks, yeah, I know. Okay, he's a very good friend of mine. Anyway, uh, when I wrote my memoir, he said you should call it a re-memoir, which is what I call it. Anyway, I wrote a book called Before I Forget, and I told... <laughs> In that book, the whole point is my background, answering some of the questions that I've answered for you today, Frederick, how I got into this, and etc. I don't teach memory in this book. This is a, re a memoir uh, about my upbringing. I come from a very poor area. Uh, I'm an original dead-end kid from the Lower East Side. I was originally a D's, those, and them's kid, you know. And as I mentioned before, I have no education, no formal education. So I've been pretty fortunate, I guess. Yeah. And but you also took uh, advantage of what you learned and practice it and teach it to other people. So. Yeah, you know when I first did it when I was a little boy, when I was telling you about those tests that I was taking and getting failing grades after I went to the library and learned about memory and changed some of the ideas uh, to fit my problems. I didn't realize I was coming up with new ideas, but I was. I was only interested in one thing, to stop my father from hitting me. And in order to stop my father from hitting me, I had to get passing grades on these tests that the teacher, her name was Mrs. Goldfisher, would give us every day to take home for the parent to sign. Uh, so, that, that, you know, that's, that's the basic thing. I had a very good incentive. Uh, that's <laughs> the point. Yeah, I can only imagine being that in, in that situation. Well, Harry, I want to thank you for today's call. It's been amazing to hear your stories. And I will leave links to your website below this uh, podcast so the listeners can take part of more of what you do. So I want to thank you for listening to today's show. If you want more of this, then just press subscribe. And now it's time for you to go out and create an amazing life. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.